Welcome to We Are Homeless, the podcast that explores the hidden world of housing alternatives in the Bay Area. My name is Adam Garrett-Clark, and every day I encounter people who are finding ways to stay in the Bay Area without handing their hard-earned money over to the market. These are their stories, because here in the Bay Area, We are homeless, the moonlight sleeping on the midnight We are homeless, 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 the moonlight sleeping on the so you want to move to the Bay during a housing crisis? That's fine. Just bring your own housing unit with you. This was a, a really fun conversation I had with a woman named Corey, who is doing just that, uh, relocated here from Las Vegas. If you listen all the way through, you'll hear uh, a really fun moment where we get to explore what um, the famous secret tiny house village in Las Vegas looks like. Uh, we're talking about Tony Shea, the founder or CEO of Zappos, who uh, has a Airstream Park village in downtown Las Vegas that Corey um, hung out in a bit. Okay, Mr. Paul Simon. Somebody sing. <coughs> Somebody sing. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Corey. Hello, Adam. <laughs> um, so I thought we'd jump in by... Um, Kind of getting a sense of who you are, and I and I I like I always like to ask people if you had all of your immediate needs taken care of, your your, your kind of your base level housing and food taken care of, um, what would you be doing with your days? Well, well, my days out on the water, working on a boat, tugboat or a ferry. Um, that's the kind of thing I enjoy doing. Very cool. Just like boats. I think that was going to be my guess based on talking to you. Yeah, and yeah, you're right actu- you're actually actively working on um, finding a, a foothold in that industry, right? You, you you mentioned you've got a merchant marine card, and you're yeah, absolutely. It's it, this is actually I'm I'm in the midst of uh, a career transition. I had been in the meeting and convention industry, the uh, technical services part of that for right about twenty years up until about two months ago. And I decided after several years of traveling here for a, uh, a long-term volunteering um, gig, I guess you could call it, uh, on board a historic ship here in uh, the Bay Area. What, what ship was that? Oh, the ship, by the way, that's the SS Jeremiah O'Brien, which is a fully operational World War II Liberty ship that was present at Normandy on D-Day in 1944. Very cool. Uh, anyway, and you were saying. Yeah. So this is career and total life transition. I moved from Las Vegas. I was there for 13 years. And maritime has, it's intrigued me for a while, um, well before I started thinking like, yeah, I kind of want to make a change and big change and move in my life. So I moved here with the goal of, you know, starting a new career at midlife. I'm, I'm 41 years old now. And my goal is long-term to grow in the local maritime industry. I'm, I'm not interested in getting onto ships and going out to sea. So ferries and tugboat work, preferably ferries. That's as population continues to grow, as we all know, and we all feel, um, you know, through the housing crisis. 
um, the ferry industry here will continue to grow as well to match the population increases because people need to get to and from work and get around the bay so totally yeah that sounds like an awesome vision and a, a great way to to spend your every day that's beautiful and so you relocating f- you relocated here from vegas and why here out of all the places in the world to relocate like maybe you can Walk me through your thought process on why you decided the Bay Area is the new home for Corey. Well, it it goes back to my involvement, my volunteering involvement as a crew member on the Jeremiah O'Brien. And I'm going to sound like I'm here to promote the ship, but uh, hey, passionate about it. (laughs) Anyhow, it, it goes back to my involvement as a crew member on that ship. I've been a crew member for almost three years, so I've been traveling just about every other month um, as work schedule in Las Vegas had permitted to come out and volunteer on the ship uh, as a deckhand uh, and with other endeavors as well. And through those trips over the last almost it'll be three years in the fall, um, the area just kept growing on me. And I knew this wasn't an easy area to move into. Um, it certainly is one of the most expensive regions in the world, you know, very well-known fact, but there's so many benefits as well. Um, there's the physical beauty, which of course for me includes being out on the water. Um, but there's also all the different social benefits, um, just activities, things to do, the, the diversity of choices and of people as well, you know, diverse range of people. Um, Las Vegas is is a part of me that will always love that area, uh, and there's many benefits to living there as well. Certainly a lower cost of living, but socially speaking, being such a tourist-driven town, like pretty much a one-industry town, um, just the day-to-day doing things, hanging out with friends, I wanted more than just an endless selection of 24-hour bars. <laughs> right. You know, that, I don't even know if you could call it a scene. It's just, it's something that exists there. Right. Um, that there's not much uh, soul behind it, just more of an existence. Uh, and in general, I think I was just uh, existing and going through the motions the last couple of years. So a- as the Bay Area began to grow on me through my traveling for my volunteering opportunity, um, over the last year or so, I really started to consider the actual mechanics of making the the transition here to from selling my home in Vegas, which I, I did a couple months ago now, to getting a place to live, uh, which I have right now. I'm renting a room in Martinez at the moment. Gotcha. Um, but you have a very interesting plan afoot, and and um, before we get into that, I. You said something before that was really interesting to me. So you understand, as everyone knows, that it's so expensive and hard to find housing here. But yet you want to make this your home, and as you should. And so your workaround, maybe you can can give us some insight about or explain what your thought process is around how, how you solve the, for this problem where there is limited housing, um, yet you want to create some housing for yourself here. Yeah, well, 
give you a brief bit of history without getting too off topic, so to speak. Uh, I originally started looking at boats. Um, and, you know, boats is, there's many different types of boats from house boats to small pleasure boats that may have a toilet and shower on them. Mm. Um, to, I was looking at tugboats, old tugboats, um, from over 100 years old to slightly newer 60 70 year old tugboats and you the plan was to acquire a tugboat and find a place to park it and live in it yeah and there are there's certainly marinas and places to park boats uh one of the issues that i ran up against is that marinas in this whole bay area region are the amount of full-time liveaboards that are allowed in marinas um beyond what utilities may or may not be available at a dock. Some are just docks where you tie up. Some have full hookups like like you'd find in a typical RV park. Um, But there are so-called legal restrictions on the total percentage of vessels at any given marina that are allowed to be full-time liveaboards. Um, I forget which uh, governmental agency or authority, because... There's so many in the Bay Area. There's too many, but <laughs> I digress. Um, but with all those restrictions, I'm like, I- in just about any size boat, if I look at something small in the mid-30-foot range, which really would be small for a boat to live in, mm. um, to a 100-foot tugboat, it, it's it's difficult places, even if they have a slip for you, right. just being allowed to. So that brought that. me into... Yeah. Um, thinking about a bus uh, I, I did want an, an RV as most people know them camper trailers however you might call that um, I'd always liked big buses and so about a month month and a half ago I ended up purchasing a 45 foot coach um, coach being you know a highway bus that has the big luggage bays underneath it um, which for my purposes that's where you put your water tanks and generator and things of that nature. Um, and 45 feet, because that's the biggest size that there legally can be uh, on the road for a single vehicle. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Um, not counting 60-foot, you know, city buses that have that accordion thing in the middle. But right, right, um, right. But a 45-foot coach, so I bought a 15-year-old bus. It has some miles on it, but in good shape, and it has been gutted, and it is in the process of being converted um, in Las Vegas. Uh, right, right now. by a, by a guy who specializes in converting buses into party buses, right? I, yeah, yeah, that's his that's his bread and butter, and his name is Marcos. Um, and I'll give Marcos a quick plug here: party bus conversions by Marcos. Nice. Um, Marcos worked for a number of years for West Coast Customs. He was their interiors and po- uh, upholstery guy, ah. but has his own business. And so his bread and butter is party bus conversions, but he's done a couple of residential type conversions, mm-hmm. um, including a few buses. Um, so I chose somebody who came highly recommended and had worked with him before. Yeah. And so and and you paid how much for the bus? Okay, so the bus was, it's a 2003, it's a 45-footer, and I paid just over 23000 Okay, and and roughly how much are you going to pay Marcos to convert it into a 
a house for you? It's a little over 15000 Okay. Um, and that conversion is giving me the water tanks, fresh water, gray water, and black water, the sewage from the toilet. Yeah. It is installing a propane on-demand hot water heater. Yeah. Plus plumbing the propane up to a, um, a refrigerator that uses propane or electric, uh, a stove. So it's that and installing three roof heating and air conditioning units. Wow, nice. Those are more typical RV stuff that yeah. you know, just stick up out of the roof, do the job. Yeah, lighting and all that, cabinetry. Yeah, so very cool. And so all in all, it sounds like it's a little under 40 grand, right? Just about, yeah. just about. Yeah. Now, you're, you're posed with a problem, which is that you're at the maximum size, but that gives you limited options on where to park such a, yes, such a home. Yes, But before we get into that... Uh, uh, that's interesting. So, but you had the thought to like, why didn't, why wouldn't you just use your money to rent? Why, why the thought to create your own house? Well, the extreme cost of real estate in this area for one. Yeah. Um, which I mean, renting is not owning, but still that means property owner, they need to, they have bills to pay too. I, I can't begrudge that, but it also means that the rents are higher. Plus, the demand makes the rent higher. Right. And there's this constantly increasing demand here. Uh, you don't build any equity renting. Um, granted, owning anything that's a vehicle, be it a full-time converted coach like mine or an RV, they don't appreciate in value. Right. Um, however, the money that I'm putting into it, at least at the end of the day, I have something that I can walk away with at any time and take with me anywhere. Right. Because it has a motor and wheels, and the transportability of that is a very attractive thing. Right. So the benefit of that versus a trailer that mm. I still have to have a vehicle to tow around mm. with. Which I would argue is just, I mean, also has some value because it, it is movable. But yeah, I see what you're saying because it, it adds another layer to the. Uh, transport it's flexibility it's it's life flexibility is uh, i guess a way you could put it right, right um which you don't really have with boats you right. know that's limited you go up and down the coast that's about it right or or renting renting out of a house you could True. you know rent a house for a couple you know three four years and put all this money and time into it and then if you need to leave that all that value and time that you put in stays with the unit, not doesn't. Oh, and come then with you, you have to pack up your stuff and all that. Yeah. My moving would only be disconnect water, disconnect electric, start the engine, drive away. Yeah. And all my stuff moves instantly. Yeah. So I like that flexibility. Now, was there any was there any thought about the this the question of gentrification and um, you know taking being a part of the process of increasing property uh, rental rates and potentially, you know, displacing some, uh, like a local person. Did that come into your, your thought process at all on this? Like if I had the money to buy a home, for example. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think I'm not an expert in gentrification, but one of my understandings is, um, Property improvement ties into that, what an owner puts into a property, you know, lifting up your curbside appeal, um, which raises value, which raises taxes, and that can be a domino effect. I understand that. Um, 
but it hasn't really because I'm not in a position to to buy real estate. Hopefully someday I would be in the future, and I would absolutely want to maintain a property. Um, you know, some place where I'm living, I want it to be decent and clean, and you know, want be something that I'm proud of. You know, right. but proud to come home to. Right. And you know, I don't want it to look. You know, I have a little bit of pride there too. I don't want it to look, you know, beat up and ill-maintained. Right. Um, right. 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 But. <laughs> It's just, it's not a factor right now at this point in my life because I'm not in a position to purchase. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think w- when some people talk about gentrification, they also talk about like the the aspect of like people that were living there for a long time are then uh, forced out uh, because of this process. Um, and there's a lot of people that feel g- a sense of guilt, people that com- are coming from... Mm-hmm from outside of the bay mm-hmm. to move in they feel a sense of guilt like my presence here is part of the process of displacing someone else and often that person is a person of color uh a person who's yeah. who's b- been been in, in a whose family has been in a situation of poverty and and um and now things are changing and now their their property taxes go up the r- usually it's rent so rent the rents go rents up, go up. Yeah. Yeah, or their their house gets sold from under them. And uh, yeah, you know I think there's unaddressed issues such as stabilizing property taxes so that long-term residents aren't affected by these massive increases in assessed property values, um, but also rental rates going up for people who don't own and rent. Yeah. Um, you know I know sometimes there's talk of rent control, for example, that can obviously be a very thorny issue if you're a property owner of course you're going to want to maximize value and charge yeah. more rent and there's just the right to be able to live and exist um, and there's also property owners rights and what is what is the appropriate balance um, for all parties involved there and I know that there are no easy answers I mean there's quick answers but there's no easy answers and nobody's going to agree on all the answers I think that's really well said yeah I think so. you really kind of uh, articulated the dynamic that that everybody's wrestling with right now mm-hmm. um, and so your solution which I think is pretty elegant in a way is hey I'm not I'm not displacing anyone here I'm adding a new housing unit to the Bay Area by buying this bus and converting it out but you've got this new unit that now needs a place to park and what what are some of the space yeah so maybe you can walk uh someone who's not uh kind of in this world through your perspective on where where you're looking for places um what are some of the options that you've come across or considered the initial search um which is somewhat unpaused because work is the work search is really taking priority right now because I do have a place to stay. I have a room that I am renting. Uh, the bus, while it's being converted, even if it's finished, it could sit if it needs to. Right. Um, but to answer your question, um, the process has been and will continue to be um, you know, traditional RV parks. Start that search first. The first place I actually spoke to was north of Sausalito, and they didn't have immediate availability. They said eh, about early, s- 
early fall, September, October, and $1,800 a month. $1,800? $1,800 a month. I mean, look, I know I have a big bus, 45 feet. It's There you go. It's big. But 1800 a month. This was in the Sausalito area, you said? North of Sausalito, like 8 or 10 miles north. I forget what actual town. Um, yeah, $1,800 a month. And I, okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. No, not going to be calling them back. And, and look, I, I don't expect to be able to find something for 400 a month like I might in Las Vegas for this size of a bus. Um, but the search continues. I found other possible ones. Um, I, I have noticed that a lot of the traditional RV and mobile home parks do not have websites. And mm. I've been, and, and i got to blame myself, I've been a little bit lazy in terms of driving around and knocking on doors. That yeah. is, but I do know that's part of the process. I need to go there in person and, and talk. But, yeah. Going there in person, I have met a few people here in Oakland and specifically in West Oakland. And I know that there are options outside just the traditional. Um, and there's also challenges right. that are part of the non traditional, so to speak. I hope I'm yeah, no, I that think appropriately. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we're, we're what you're referring to is is people that are doing this uh, codes or not, you know, code compliance or not, uh, living in the shadows, and yeah, I think that's that's definitely something that's uh, that's kind of out there and obvious. Um, also, though, and when you're trying to deal with the RV parks, a lot of them uh, limit the 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 look or the the make and model that's acceptable and they're or in their the rig. age the age right so ha have you come across that as far like where did what have you heard on buses because I yeah I haven't thought about that buses they're not necessarily opposed to some places will have restrictions if it was originally built whether or not it was originally built as something residential uh, full time or not full time but something you know toilet shower was built to live in versus if it had seats in it if it was a passenger coach and was converted some places will have specific restrictions on that mm. not very common uh, but age-wise 10 years is a general rule of thumb that's very common mm. um, published that I've seen uh, whether or not they enforce all their own rules and that's you know hey property owners rules right they can do that yeah. Right or wrong, they can do that. Um, but yeah, you—that's a challenge. You've got so not only do you have the fact that you're 45 feet, but you also have the fact that you may be just the the f what your home is is going to be not allowed in a lot of places. So it's really limiting the po the possibilities for you, right? If they're going the, I don't want to say letter of the law because this isn't law. It's a it's a rules thing that a lot of places have. But yeah. if they're going by the quote unquote letter of their own law. Yeah. Um, sure, my bus is 15 years old. It's a 2003, but right. fundamentally, it doesn't look much different from what is out there now. And the body doesn't have any damage. There's no rust. You know, it's it's not unsightly by any means. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. you might be able to have a conversation and get through. I've heard of uh, yeah school the sc the schoolies as they say the school buses 
uh, I was at the at Tiny Fest uh, about a month ago, and there was a guy giving a talk about it. He said that you never tell them when you call ahead that you're a bus. Just say you're an RV because he's registered his school bus as an RV. And then he just shows up and has a good smile, and and uh, usually things are okay. He's, he said he was only turned away once. But this is a guy that's kind of, he's he's moving, he's he's never in one place any you know too long, so it's... Yeah not a long-term thing it's well you don't want to shut the conversation down before it even begins yeah and i think there's certain i trigger words i guess you could say right 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 school bus is one of them yeah, yeah exactly yeah, uh, yeah. because quite often school buses when people are buying them used uh from my own personal experience just looking at buses um you know it's not uncommon they're being issues with older used buses i mean they're big they have a lot of miles on it a lot of places they can rust um yeah a lot of these that have and i apologize it may be digressing have mixtures of different types of metals um there's just there can and often are more issues with them which you know uh cause some curb appeal yeah, problems yeah. that are legitimately a concern for a property owner or manager. Also, too, I, I was talking to a, uh, an RV park owner who said that um, part of the reason they limit the um, the make or the, the year that it, that that's going to be accepted is because if somebody abandons their rig um, and the the park is stuck with trying to get rid of it, they there's only so far there's only so many um, rigs that they can resell. You know, if it's a really old, beat up. Um, you know, 1972 RV, nobody's going to want to buy it from them. And then they're really stuck with that liability. Well, then it's a pile of scrap metal. Right, right. And then all the fluids in there that they have to remediate if they even are forced to just scrap it. Right. And actually, this is something else worth looking into, but I was talking to a guy who does deal in these abandoned RVs in the streets of San Francisco. He gets paid to remove them. And what he said was the all the RVs that are made out of fiberglass bodies there's no place you can take them. No dump will take them because they're um, they're just like so toxic. There's something about the the particles get like stuck in your lungs. I want to say I don't know. But anyway, anything with fiberglass bodies, there's no place you can take them. So he, you know, he kind of disappears them, if you will. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. There should be a place for them. Well, it's Some look. There's place. there's upsides to those environmental and waste regulations that exist anywhere um, but there's also downsides to extreme regulation that right. we see on many things here in California um, because now somebody is operating they want the the authorities want a problem dealt with but there's not allowing for um, a sensible way for it to be dealt with exactly well said yeah yeah so it's like okay you want it to just disappear so what do you want to ship it out of state make it somebody else's problem which is a crappy thing to do yeah. not that that doesn't happen to california like the busing of mentally ill people from nevada to california ah. which increases some of these housing problems oh um, wait can you exp open that up a little bit i have never heard of that Oh, the tangent I bring up. <laughs> okay, uh, it there have been issues, and I'm not a, a subject matter expert by any means, but having been a Las Vegas resident and reading the news, um, it had 
been a well-known practice for a number of years that when people were released from institutions in Nevada, mainly Southern Nevada, because it's where most of the people live, it's a very, you know, there's a couple. Um, there's small towns in Nevada, but then there's Las Vegas and there's Reno. Right. They would oftentimes put people on a bus and send them to California because California's social service support is for for people who are um, financially indigent uh, for whatever reason there's just more services and support here so Nevada would just ship their problems out so they didn't have to pay for it or deal with it yeah that's interesting because patient uh, dumping so to speak yeah wow yeah no because that is it's a massive dynamic I mean a lot of a lot of the people the visible people that you see that are homeless are you know displaying evidence of a mental illness um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah it's a, it's a huge issue and while there are I'm not an expert either but it, while there are as, as you say sir a lot of services here there's so many people that are just not getting support um, yeah but well that's and, and that thing. adds to the whole housing crunch for everybody just yeah. more people no matter what walk of life they came from or where they come from the fact that they're here creates more demand and Right, right. You know, there you go. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Okay, so uh, the other thing that we have to talk about um, is uh, your experience in Las Vegas and tiny houses led you to, I'm so jealous, the experience of being in t- Tony Shea, the uh, the uh, CEO of Zappos's um, famous uh, tiny house village. Yeah, the... It's known by a couple different names. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the Airstream Park. Sometimes the Llama Park, uh, which is a misnomer because he actually has a pet alpaca, not a llama. So he's got just one alpaca? He had to. Um, he, he had Triton and Marley. Uh, Triton passed away last year at some point. Um, huh. uh, Marley's still around, though. Marley, the ornery... Uh, Blackford alpaca. Love Marley, but <laughs> yeah, Marley's Marley's got a personality. So I mean, so what can you tell me about this place? Because I, uh, I really want to go see it. Uh, so hopefully, I will. But it is yeah. it's a fairly closed community. Uh, well, it pretty much is a closed community. You know, you don't just find oh, there's an airstream or a tiny house, w- which is kind of how the units are mixed. I mean, it's literally, that's how it's laid out, like Airstream, tiny house, Airstream, all, all right next to each other. Wow. Um, it, it's it's a closed community. Um, so the only way you can get in is if you know, you, you have a relationship with somebody who lives there. Kind of, yeah, referral. You're not going to find units coming up on an apartment website or something like that. I don't know if that's now changing. Um, and I never, just to qualify my knowledge and my statements a bit, uh, I've never lived there. However, I have a friend and former coworker who does live there, not in an airstream or tiny house, but she actually has a forty-five foot bus. Ah, similar uh, to you. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. A well, bit of inspiration, I guess you could say. And you, and you didn't entertain trying to see if you could get a spot there because you wanted to be here. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't want to continue in the media and convention industry anymore, yeah, which yeah. I was grateful to be in. And I had a good paying job, but I needed to start a new life for myself yeah. in a new area. And 
so there's that. I mean, the easy solutions wouldn't have been the uh, the healthier solutions for me. Right. So anyway, back to the back to the what what's the name of the of his most book? commonly referred to as Airstream Park. Okay. It started originally in the former Western Hotel and Casino RV Park in the East Fremont district of Las Vegas. Yeah, Old Vegas, right? Um yeah. so yeah, the East Fremont district. I mean, there's literally East Fremont Street, but um Fremont Street proper is with the big video canopy where the casinos are and then east of Las Vegas Boulevard which bisects that is the East Fremont District. So the Western Hotel and Casino which has long since been closed. Tony bought that. He's probably the single biggest landowner downtown to my knowledge. Oh interesting. Um, Maybe not total acreage but numbers of properties. Um bought that closed it down they demolished a portion of the building the main casino building still there used for special events and it had an rv park so the original incarnation of the so-called airstream park was at the former western hotel and casino rv park last year it moved over to one of the motor lodge motor court kind of old school two-story type places several of which that he owns Um, they renovated a certain portion of the building and then the outer lot or just some of the flat ground of it surrounding the pool area there's I don't know how many units total it is but they basically moved everything over there from across the street they installed hookups Um, oh so they're like under underground like kind of Coming out of the ground hookups? or Yeah, they installed what you would see in a typical RV park. Cool. Fresh water, yeah. sewer drain, electric. Nice. And then there's a communal pool. There's a big, you could call it outdoor living room, which has a nice stage, a really, really nice PA system, which kind of under the radar, they occasionally get very well-known artists there. I think Jewel was there, like, I don't know, two years ago or something, just showed up one night. Wow. Imagine Um, imagine just coming home from a hard day and uh, randomly (laughs) there's a spontaneous event where Jewel is performing. Pretty cool. Yeah. So they get A-list people who will just kind of show up because, you know, this is the cool place to be. Outdoor fire pit, anyways. Um, And then the portion of the motel building that they renovated, the top floor, it's not very big. but the top floor, several of the rooms are converted to residential units. And the bottom floor, it they basically took out a few walls and created a large communal kitchen and large living room, counter space, like a big multi-purpose type of room. Cool. Um, and people still have their own kitchens and whatnot in their individual units, but... This is very commonly used uh, as well because it's well, it's really nice too. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and Tony put all his mo- his own money into this. Is that your sense? I, I assume so. Yeah. I assume so. How I mean, he's the. P- it's it's under the auspices of his downtown project. Okay. Um, I think the Airstream Park is under that. I don't know if that's his direct or, you know, again, I'm not. I don't know Tony personally. I mean, would probably recognize my face, but he wouldn't know my name. Yeah. I'll put it to you that way. A lot of people approaching that guy. 
yeah. I was not one of them. I'm I just sure. did my thing with my friends and. You I'm know. sure. Yeah, he's 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 pretty sought after. As he's as in as demand. That's yeah. for sure. So uh, his and and your friend, how much was she paying for to park her 45 foot I bus? I don't know. Okay. I actually don't know. Um, but uh, I'm assuming a reasonable rate. Yeah, I mean, not anywhere close to what Vegas would, uh, not Vegas, excuse me, the Bay Area would be. Right. Um, but, you know, assuming, again, that's uh, something I never asked her. Yeah. And how, did you get a sense of from her about how decisions are made in the space? Uh, is it just kind of like, is there, uh, are there meetings or... How how are you know conflicts resolved? Uh, the they governance? have. They I know they do have resident meetings. I don't know if there's a regularly scheduled one or not. Um, there is also a primary person who basically manages the space. Oh, interesting. Okay. And he doesn't. I don't believe he has a title because Tony is well known for his whole holacracy. Yeah. Right. System of non-titled hierarchy so to speak i don't know yeah. if that's the appropriate way flat, flat hierarchy yeah 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 no, i mean there, no there's leaders. a book on it which i haven't read so yeah. i'm not a subject matter expert but people don't have titles they have like circles and right right, I, right, right. yeah there so you go not an expert <laughs> no I've, I've been actually geeking out a little bit about this so yeah that's it I forgot about that aspect as well. So, but this manager guy, does he live there uh, for I free, do you think? He, he probably gets a salary, maybe? I don't know. And I don't know if that's the only thing that he does. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually seen him in a couple of years. But okay. Uh, nice guy. Now, I know that uh, I've been listening, actually, th to a lot of podcasts where Tony, or speeches that Tony has given, and almost always he will mention that if you are in Vegas to contact Zappos and they will give you a free tour. And so I'm curious if you know of what's the best angle <laughs> if someone like me who's a big tiny house um, community geek wanted to go see the space and meet the people and talk to them, what's the best way to get in there? Because you know, my plan is to just go take a tour of Zappos and then try to angle that way, but uh, it's, it's a pretty, you know, there's, there's not a lot of meat there. On that angle, yeah, I I would think ha having taken a look at a couple of these non-traditional communities here in the East Bay, get a couple good photographs. Yeah, do some a little social media magic with appropriate tagging, Instagram and whatnot. Yeah, try that to start with. Um, get your Zappos thing scheduled. Um, and any opportunity to attach a couple photographs to an email. Yeah. Yeah, just promote it tactfully. So you think Tony might be inspired by uh, a? He, he might. He yeah. might. Um, I, I, since you mentioned Tony again, I, I personally would like to, I'd like to see some backing to take a an expanded, a similar but expanded and slightly more opened concept to what he's done in Vegas. Yeah. To here to the Bay Area because. Yeah. There is land to do this. Yeah. yeah. There's absolutely land. There's land in Alameda. There is land here in Oakland. Richmond, yeah. yeah but yeah. the backing, uh, I think first and foremost, to deal with some of the code changes yeah. that will make this more, um, you know, a more, it w we know it's a viable concept. Yeah, there's, a, there's demand. Yeah. 
and yeah it's a matter of yeah releasing the backing the to look uh, unfortunately it um it, and nothing against lawyers but unfortunately it takes paying legal fees and you know oftentimes getting professionals involved to um i'm not saying lobbying is a necessity but yeah hey it, it takes financial backing to really make a a big change like that yeah um, because obviously we're seeing this stuff on a small scale yeah. in a couple of these communities here in east bay but to have a a larger development that you know is very mixed um mixed and, is, and is open um mixed as in income levels or mixed as in, in income levels um types of residences could be a tiny home it could be literally an rv totally yeah could be a 45 foot bus right but mixed and all of those things generally would also bring mixed income levels as well totally um but keeping it balanced most importantly yeah. um, having that mixture um to expand this and get code enforcement off people's backs right. it takes money and lawyers to deal with a lot of that right and it'd be it would be nice to it, it would be very nice to inspire somebody like him to, even if he wasn't willing or able to invest, to perhaps lend his voice and help make some connections totally. to others who are, I and as well, lend some of that developmental expertise that they have continued to tweak at the Airstream Park in Vegas. Right, and yeah. They've done a phenomenal job of that. It is, you know, it... it gets a lot of press but beyond that it there's still a lot of people who are living there who are actively engaged it is a community wow and 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 what's your sense of the the social inner workings you know because i i gotta say i you know i've read about some villages and was fortunate enough to go actually s live there for a little bit and walk around and talk to the people um in oregon and you know it's there's a difference between what you hear in the tours and you read in the media about these places and then when you actually talk to the people that live there it's sometimes it's a different vibe but what was there was there some toxic i mean often it feels like when you put any large group of people together there there's going to be some friction but i mean is, uh, is there drama in yeah. a nutshell yeah yeah is there drama yeah exactly I, i've never slept a single night there yeah. um but just you know so in other words i haven't I've never lived there. I only know from my friend and her experience, and I. There's nothing that I've ever heard that concerns me about that particular um, development. Um, it's uh, it's a very tight knit community. I think you know as wonderful as it is that to hear that they're opening it up for tours, um, which is inspiring, can bring inspiration. Um, it's also, uh, like I mentioned, I don't think that they've ever put an advertisement out there for, hey, we have an Airstream available. Does anybody want to just apply and rent it? I, I, I gather that there's more of a screening process. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean in terms of it being closed. Yeah. doesn't mean nobody ever comes in there and lives, but and exactly what their screening process entails, I don't know exactly. I can only speculate, and, and I'm not going to do that because it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't be fair to to the listeners. Yeah. Um, plus, I don't want to get misquoted. Well, he has a he has um he does have a screening process for Zappos that um he's talked about. Mm-hmm. So that's actually interesting. I'm sure he's got some insights as to how he does that for a community. There's probably some parallels. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I know for for Zappos at least they have this cool thing where they um they at different points after they accept you they offer you um i think it's like two grand after you know once you're in the training process and they've accepted you they will offer you two grand to quit and um, and then i think after another like uh benchmark then they'll offer you some more money like some yeah more money than that to walk away and it's all about like do you really want to be here is it just about the money if it is then here's the money leave because we only want you here if you're gonna if you want to be here and and that's that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. But I wonder if he has another something along those lines with, with his screening process for, for people in the community. That's interesting. I I think the best thing to do is see if we can get a nice interview with Tony. Yeah, oh, that would be the dream. Well, I got to keep practicing and uh, working out all my kinks with the <laughs> You know, you're you're probably uh, episode number seven or something six. Uh, so. It's all good. You're doing fine. Thanks. Um, what are the other questions? Oh, so do you get a sense that um, the majority of the units in the Airstream Park are owned by Tony, or are they usually owned by the person that's living in them? You know what I mean? Like, or is it, is it Airstreams that are up for rent, or is it I've got an Airstream, I'm going to rent those the footprint? I, I don't know. If anything has changed since when it was across the street at the former Western RV park, but they were all always there and a part of it from day one. And I don't believe from what I've personally observed that there's any um, transient units, so to speak, Uh. other than a couple of buses. Uh, My friend's bus isn't the only one that has been there. But other than a couple of buses, which are in a separate section uh, from where the actual airstreams and tiny homes are laid out. Okay, so your friend's kind of in an anomalous situation. Yeah, and, and the, well, and the footprint is it just wouldn't work, s- you know, mixing it up, having, you know, 40, anywhere from 35 feet on, you know, like a school bus type of vehicle to Mm. a 45 foot coach it just wouldn't work layout wise just mixing that in there with tiny homes and airstreams because you're talking twice the length right 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 because you can't yeah yeah i mean i'm curious how you think about that like as we look project out into you know five ten years from now if we assume that there's going to be this this big crowd of people like yourself that are going to somehow finance the production of their own housing units that can move, um, whether they build them themselves or they buy them from a builder or they do a kind of a mixture of what you're doing of kind of project managing the build. At the end of the day, if we assume that, you know, in five or 10 years, we're going to have a wave of people that own their own movable homes. um, What do you think, like how, where are these people going to find places to put them? Wh- how do you, vi- what's the perfect like kind of vision if you had a magic wand as to how this was going to be organized for people? Like what, w- are you saying what would be the perfect piece of property to build a small community on? Or Well, you're going to need, I, I, I think what I'm trying to say is you're going to need a lot of communities, right? To accommodate all, yeah. of the, I mean, we're talking about, a, there's a lot of people. There's like, 
thousands of people that go to these tiny house festivals. You know, you got to assume yeah. that at least half of them already own their tiny house and, and the other half are about to mm-hmm. build one in a couple of years. Um, and that's every, you know, there's tiny house festivals happening all over the country. Um, I think to really make that um, a better, not a better option in terms of just, you know, the validity of owning and living in a tiny house or converted bus. But I think probably the single most important thing that needs to change is municipal codes and and laws that are governing that type of stuff. Um, because right now it still remains very unfriendly. Yeah. Um, you know, being more open to the location that these communities can exist without code violations coming into play. And I'm not talking code violations like for, you know, piles of trash and, you know, uh, having junk cars up on blocks and, you know, just clutter. Um, but, you know, density, uh, yeah. people per square foot or whatever metric a municipality might use, um, but just just the general codes that allow people to exist in a manner that they can afford and not not criminalizing um, a person's existence, basically. Yeah, or their yeah their their um, their pursuit of shelter, yeah. which is like on the way to happiness. But um, that's the first thing, and that's that's the most important thing. Um, right. I think there there needs to be more infrastructure of it. You know. Look, living off the grid is a noble uh, endeavor, um, but there also, even when you have plots of land to do this stuff in, there still needs to be basic utilities for people to hook up to. Totally agree. Um, and that's, but that's goes back to my question because I see, I, I see this fuzzy vision of lots of communities, um, of obviously various shapes and sizes. I see lots of communities where there's people moving in and out with their rigs you know so the almost like rv parks right more and more rv parks in a sense Uh, but you would you wouldn't call them rv parks because of the the cultural stigma and you would call them eco villages and you would you would organize them as such uh but then i also see um you know various like formalized relationships as are already happening with with existing homeowners like moving your home into a, a traditionally built home's backyard or side yard or front yard. Homeowner has some extra room right. that could accommodate one or two right. tiny ho- homes or even just one. Right, right. Um, so you have all these places. But but what you said is interesting about Tony's village because you were saying that you d- it's not very practical to, in a sense, design a space that can receive both a 45-foot bus and a... No, I'm a f- you know, a fifteen foot. I, I wouldn't tiny say house. it's impractical. I'm saying the just the way that particular space is laid out. Yeah. Um, it, and it's it, it's a little hard to describe without showing pictures. Yeah. Um, but it's just you know, you're not going to stick a forty five foot bus in the middle of a row of twenty to twenty five foot tiny homes and airstreams. Yeah, I guess it it really it does limit the design um, and the use of your how efficiently you're using the space if you're trying to create yeah, spatial utilization. Yeah, you know, 
yeah. maximizing the value of the square footage that you have available, right. keeping things flexible so um, so units can move in and out if need be. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think like those two are in conflict. Like it sounds like his village is using space really efficiently, mm-hmm. but at the expense of not being available to uh, a 20 foot airstream moving out and a 45 foot bus moving in. Like it's, it's, you just got to design it around your units that you pre place there rather than be available to various ho- mobile homeowners moving in and out of the space. Well, I- and the, the spaces where the tiny homes and airstreams are there would literally just not be able to fit a 45-foot bus. Right, 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 right. Versus if you built spaces for 45-foot buses, you could fit one or two tiny homes and airstreams. Right. Um Oh, that's sure. Right. You yeah. c- you can stack them like that. It's just yeah. it's it's how you it's how you design physical layout, yeah. in infrastructure. Infrastructure being those basic utilities: water, sewer, electric. Yeah. It's how you design those hookups to begin with. Right. Right. So right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I I would just think as as we start to build these spaces, um, we would really want to want to design for that <coughs> flexibility to be able to take in those quarries with those forty five footers, and then. When Corey moves out, that space can yeah. still be viable for, say, two 20-footers to replace You might not have another f- single 45-foot unit that requires one set of hookups readily available to come in and take that space, but you've got a couple smaller units, and you build the space with two hookups, even if it's not always going to be utilized. Right, yeah. So that you have a bit more uh, operational flexibility, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. That's good food for thought for the future uh, tiny house uh, designer, village di- designers out there. Yeah. Any other, uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, so any other um, any other thoughts that have come up? Any burning uh, ideas that, that might have been sparked? Uh, or or maybe messages that you would want to put out to, to our handful of listeners <laughs> at this point? <laughs> I would hope that some local and state um, political types, elected officials, would be listening to this and understand that at least myself and many of the people that I know in similar situations um, are not looking for contentious housing situations, not looking to be in a battle. We would much rather partner with you guys on getting some solutions and some of that is legislative solutions um, that can be win-win for everybody rather than just hey I'm going to set up a space and uh, violations be damned and then I'll move every couple of months and that's just not good for anybody it's not good for brick and mortar residences that might be adjacent to a space it's not good for the residents themselves it's not good for the municipalities it's good for nobody and if we can sit down and partner on these solutions rather than what right now still seems like a never-ending contentious relationship between all parties where nobody ends up winning um, Let's move forward and start to actually 
create some solutions rather than continue to be part of the problem. Awesome. So well said. I am uh, I am so excited that uh, you are coming to the Bay Area with your, your tiny house. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time, Corey. Right on. I appreciate you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The music is by Paul Simon and Lady Smith Black Mambasso from the Graceland album, one of the greatest albums of all time. This podcast is inspired by the work of Tiny Logic. For more information, visit tinylogic.ninja. While this song is super beautiful, let's stop singing it.